Alright, so take your Bibles, turn with me to Thessalonians. We'll just do a brief little review. Actually, no, go to Revelation. Go to Revelation. Revelation chapter 4. Revelation chapter 4. And I will have a prayer before my help. Give the time over to him. Thank you for your, your love and your care. I pray, Lord, that you would have your hand upon us this morning. You'd help me. Uh, give me wisdom and understanding. Help me, Lord, to uh, teach plainly and clearly the truth of your word. I uh, ask, my Lord, that you might uh, bless it to the hearers. Help us that we might be as the Bereans search the scriptures daily to see if these things be so. You might guide us by your Holy Spirit into all truth. In Jesus' name we do pray. Revelation chapter 4, and in verse 1 we see the Bible tells us that after this, after this I looked, and behold, a door was opened in heaven, and the first voice which I heard was as it were of a trumpet talking with me, which said, Come up hither, and I will show thee things which must be hereafter. We're stepping into the, uh, the, the, the context and the, the working through revelation of the things that must be hereafter. Uh, we uh, did an overview of, your, of Revelation, and uh, I was supposed to do this in one lesson, so that we could be, yeah, this topic in one lesson um, on the rapture, so that we could get through and, uh, by the end of the term. But I've just uh, scrapped all of those plans, and we're going to take about three or four lessons just on the rapture, and uh, we'll finish Revelation sometime uh, in term one of next year. So uh, that'll, uh, that's just the way it's going to go. Do you recall anything from the lesson last week? That's the scripture we looked at. I'm going to give you the topic. It was on the rapture. Uh, such an encouragement to my teaching ability. <laughs> we were in 1 Thessalonians. and I want to hazard a guess at what chapter that was? With the rapture of the church, what chapter would we have been in in 1 Thessalonians? 1 Thessalonians 4. That's right. So we are spending a bit of time there. If you go back there, we'll just do a quick review of a couple of verses. Mick, can you sneak out? I locked that door on Carmen and didn't think about it. Like you. Can you sneak through and do some school classes and unlock that door for Carmen? That way she can come in and out and go above. I forgot that got locked this morning. Don't be sorry. But just it's handy if you can come in and out. I'm not trying to kick you out, I'm just trying to give you some options. <laughs> First Thessalonians, let me find my place. Someone there? First Thessalonians chapter 4. What verse do we want to look at? You tell me. Verse 13. Someone read verse 13, maybe through to 15, somewhere there. You judge where to pull up. 13 through to 15, maybe. Someone read it out loud. <laughs> But I would not have you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning them which are asleep, that ye sorrow not, even as others which have no hope. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so then also which sleep in him will come up with Alright. So, this, uh, this passage here is pointing to the return of Christ, 
a time of Christ coming back. Uh, it's pointing to those that are dead in Christ. And uh, at the coming of the Lord, we shall not prevent them which are asleep. And it gives in verse 17, Then we which are alive and remain shall be brought up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. We have a look at, uh, at this passage of Scripture in relation to um, the, the God's on the order of things. We had a look at it in relation to the, the word caught up. We talked about some different words we would use in relation to the rapture and this idea of being caught up is, uh, is one thing we would look at. But it says we will not prevent them which sleep in Christ. It talks also not just about the rapture. What would, what would be the terminology we would, call, we would speak of those that um, sleep in Christ? We don't say they're raptured. What would we say that happens to those that are, are dead in Christ at this point? How do we describe that? Resurrection. The resurrection of the dead. We're touching on a topic that, that we'll, just, we'll just touch on it briefly. It's... It is, it is something that's worthy of a lot of consideration. But when we talk about the resurrection of the dead and we look at it scripturally, there's two lines of thought. There's the spiritual resurrection of the dead and there is the bodily resurrection of the dead. And here, we which are alive and remain shall not prevent them which are asleep. The Bible says of those that were resurrected from the dead, that uh, the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, with the trump of God, and the dead in Christ shall rise first. If I'm in Christ, I have eternal life. I don't, I don't see death. So what is the death that has been spoken of here? It's not the death of the soul. It's not a spiritual death. It's the physical death of the grave. So then what is the resurrection that is spoken of here? It's not, it's not the resurrection of the spirit. It's the resurrection of the body. It's a bodily resurrection that's been spoken of. First Thessalonians just touches on it. First Corinthians goes into depth. So we'll look at First Corinthians. Go to First Corinthians chapter 15. If you recall last week, we had a look at a passage in Ecclesiastes. The reference is Ecclesiastes 12, verse 5 through 7. Does anyone recall the, the crux of what that verse those passages talks about, or even better, quote it. <laughs> but at least the idea of what that passage of Scripture Ecclesiastes refers to. That when the silver cord be broken, uh, the bowl be broken, and the silver cord be loosed, that the body goes where? Oh, the body to the oh, dust. Yep. <laughs> the dust and the spirit to God who gave it. At death, body and spirit are separated. That's what death is. Death of the body is when the spirit is separated from the body. Good way to understand medically dead and these near-death experiences and these after-death experiences is scripturally speaking, as far as God's concerned, you're not dead until that spirit is separated from that body, until that silver cord that binds body and soul together is loosed. That bond is broken. Right? At that point, there's death. Right? And the body turns to dust and the spirit to God who gave it. First Corinthians 15. 
We really want to, at some stage, take your time to read the whole chapter. And read it slowly, discerningly, trying to get in context with what Paul is dealing with and all that he's speaking of. We're just going to jump through to verse 51 to give us where we're heading. And then we're going to come back and take some key verses as we go through it. First Corinthians 15, 51. Behold, I show you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, which is talking about dead, the dead in Christ. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trump, for the trumpet shall sound, and the dead shall be raised incorruptible, and we shall be changed. What is called caught up in 1 Thessalonians 4 is called something else here. What is referred to as we will not prevent them which sleep in 1 Thessalonians is here spoken of that those that are, 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 sleep, are asleep in Christ shall be raised incorruptible. Now, if the raised incorruptible is the resurrection of the dead, what terminology does 1 Corinthians 15, 52 use for caught up? What's the word? There's one word there. Sorry? Let's go slowly. I think you're wrong. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trump, the trumpet shall sound, and the dead shall be raised incorruptible. That's the resurrection from the grave. What is it that happens to those that aren't dead? Who is, who is speaking here? Paul's writing. He's writing when he's alive. As he's writing, he uses that word we. Happens to those that, that, that are the weak. If the dead are raised incorruptible, yeah, the Bible talks about the dead being raised incorruptible and we being changed. Now, we'll slow down, go back through the passage. Go back to verse 1. Chapter 15, verse 1. Moreover, brethren, I declare unto you the gospel which I preached unto you, which also ye have received, and wherein ye stand, by which also ye are saved, if ye keep in memory that which I preached unto you, unless ye have believed in vain. For I have delivered unto you first of all that which I also received, how that Christ died for your sins according to the Scriptures, and that he was buried, and that he rose again the third day according to the Scriptures. We see the death, burial, and resurrection as the beginning place of this chapter. Like I say, it's worthy reading through the whole lot. But, but jump then to verse 12. And he starts to reason with those who he's writing to. Now, if Christ be preached that he rose from the dead, how say some among you that there is no resurrection of the dead? He's dealing with an issue that some say that once you're dead, that's the end of it. Body's finished with, it's just a spiritual thing after that. So, if Christ be preached that he rose from the dead, how say some among you that there is no resurrection of the dead? 
His argument is that if Christ rose from the dead, why are you saying there is no resurrection? Jump further than verse 22. For as in Adam all die, talking about mankind, all those that are sons of Adam, for as in Adam all die. By one man sin entered into the world, and death by sin, and so all sin and come short. Sure, glory of God, I'm two together that. But here we have that death entering into the world through the sin of Adam, and death being that genealogical trait that's handed on because of the curse. So as in Adam all die, in verse 22, even so in Christ shall all be made alive. Now the Bible does talk about that when you are in Christ you have life and life more abundantly. In fact, when you get saved, you get given eternal life. Now, before I got saved back in 2000, my heart was beating in my chest, my lungs were sucking in and out oxygen, and I had the life of the body. But when I got saved, I got given eternal life. I was spiritually dead in my trespasses and sins, and I became, I was made alive in Christ. That's what salvation is. Salvation is not a prayer you pray. Salvation is not a, a, uh, an inquiry card you filled out. Salvation is not a decision that you determined you would obtain. Salvation is a gift that God gave you. It's not so much have you prayed for sinner's prayer. It's not so much have you humbled yourself and pleaded for God to save you. Really the question is, is Prayed that prayer has God answered. That's what salvation is. Salvation isn't the praying, salvation is the answer to your to your seeking God. But here, the reasoning of this passage is the resurrection of Christ from the dead. The context is that if Christ got up from the grave, then there is such a thing as the resurrection of the dead. So when you read verse 22, as in Adam all die, physically die, so in Christ shall all be made alive. You have no reason in the context of this passage to spiritualise verse 22 and go, oh, that's just talking about the eternal life in Christ. No, in verse 22 it's talking about if you are in Christ, you will be made alive about physical resurrection. Have a look further in verse 23. But every man in his own order, Christ the first fruits, afterwards they that are Christ at his coming. Christ was the first fruit of the resurrection of the dead. And after that, they that are Christ at his coming. You will be a follower of Christ, not just by your own decision, but by his example too. He, got, he resurrected from the dead, so too will you as his children be resurrected from the dead. Follow him in every aspect. Verse 30, uh, verse 24, after it said, talks about Christ at, at first and then after him, then cometh the end. So those that are Christ will be resurrected at his coming, then cometh the end when he shall have delivered up the kingdom of God, even the Father, and he shall have put down all rule and all authority and all power. Step into here as to when the resurrection of the dead will come. When is this, when is this uh, grave broken up and 
the dead in Christ shall rise, that 1 Thessalonians speaks of. And 1 Corinthians, in dealing with the resurrection of the dead, not the rapture of the church, but the resurrection of the dead that 1 Thessalonians also deals with, says every man in his own order, his own time. Christ, the first fruits, that happened 2,000 years ago. Afterward, they that are Christ at his coming. And so we have that timing for the second, for the resurrection of the dead. And then, after the resurrection of the dead, then cometh the end, when he shall have delivered up the kingdom of God, even the Father, when he shall have put down all rule and authority and all power. That there is part of the backbone of the doctrine of the pre-millennial rapture of the church. Not the pre-tribulation, all that passage gives some hints, but predominantly that talks about these events happening before Christ reigns for a thousand years, the millennial reign of Christ. And so when you hear a pre-millennial term, a pre-millennial rapture of the church, a pre-millennial tribulation, it's talking about before the reign of Christ, and that's what this passage is saying. That before Christ, before Christ uh, has delivered up the kingdom of God, even the Father, when he shall put down all rule and all authority and all power, he must reign till he has put all enemies under his feet. It's talking about the order of things. Do you see it up there? So then we go to verse 35. Some of you will say, How are the dead raised up? And with what body do they come? So he's established the fact that the dead will be raised up. That's what that first portion of 1 Corinthians 15 is about. Just to, just to prove that there is a resurrection of the dead and when it will happen. Then he says, You're going to ask, they raised up. With what body do they come? And he runs through some examples of that, giving giving explanation, uh, talking about the different bodies in, in creation. And in verse 42, he said, So also is the resurrection of the dead. The resurrection of the dead, it is sown in corruption. It is raised in incorruption. The sowing that it's speaking of is when you get planted in the ground. When you die, your body returns to the dust and the dirt. You have died, you've been planted in corruption. Now, anyone that has lived past probably 30 uh, can testify to the fact that it starts going downhill, right? And corruption starts closing in on this body and uh, things start falling apart. Um, but so much more the grave. When Lazarus was buried, even though he had hope of eternal life and his sisters had hope of his resurrection, they also said, don't open that grave. He'd been in there four days and he stinketh. Corruption is set in. Uh, and so that there's so many corruption. But not just not just not just physical corruption, this old man, this flesh. My neurological pathways, my habits, the things that I've exposed myself to, oh, I've corrupted this. I've corrupted this body. That which is supposed to be the holy, pure temple of God. I have allowed thoughts and actions and memories and mindsets and, 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 and these things into my life. Addictions that chemically you get... that you paint across your body. There'll be, there'll be, there'll be saints that are, are, are 
saved after they've put piercings through noses and lips and after they've flogged their backs to a scar that they might ascend into heaven and then they get saved by the God grace of God out of that out of that corruption. And they live a life of faith, but they've already tormented their body. The signs of corruption are on that old body that puts in the grave. When you get resurrected, you don't get resurrected with all the scars of life. The neurological pathways that have created habits and temptations that are so easily for you to fall back into now, they all turn to dust. And the resurrection, that which was corruptible, shall be raised incorruptible. All the ink that you've pasted on your body, that'll stay in the ground. What will be raised will be incorruptible. How will they be raised? They will be raised, they're planted in corruption, they are raised in incorruption. It is sown in dishonor, it is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness, it is raised in power. It is sown a natural body, catch this, it is raised a spiritual body. There is a natural body and there is a spiritual body. You get hints of this with the resurrection of Christ. When he wanted to cross the Sea of Galilee in his natural body, he laid himself down in a boat. Or he had that body miraculously uh, walk on the water. But yet the body miraculously walked on the water. We see the Lord, uh, he hungered, he thirsted, he all these things. But when you see the resurrected body on the road to Emmaus, he walked with those that knew him and they didn't recognize him. We're still the same Christ. We know it was the same Christ because he said to Thomas, Behold my hands and my soul. But yet on the road to Emmaus, the disciples didn't recognize And locked in the upper room, he was simply dead. He disappeared. Walls were no barrier to him. We don't get told much of what went on, but we know that there was a difference in that resurrected body. Than there was in his, uh, his his natural body, and so the Bible says here. Here's something you don't get told much more information. You just get told this: there is a natural body, and there is a spiritual body. And I want you to pay attention to that body. It says it's a body. It's it's not an entity. It's not a force. It's it's not a shadow in the darkness that we might think some ghost. It says there is a spiritual body. Bodily resurrection to a spiritual body. It is sown a natural body, it is raised a spiritual body. Now look in verse 49. And as we have borne the image of the earth, earthy, talking about mankind, as we have borne the image of the earthy, we shall also bear the image of the heavenly. That's an interesting passage of scripture because what is this earthy created in the image of? This earthy is created in the image of God. Right? It's created in the image of the heaven. But the spiritual body, this is an earthy body and we bear the image of the earthy. I look like my dad. I look like my grandfather. But I will be raised in corruption where I will bear the image of the heaven. Here we see the, the resurrection, right? We're going to be raised a heavenly body, we're raised to bear the image of the heavenly. 
It's then that we get to verse 51. Verse 50, just to join it together, says, This I say, brethren, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, neither doth corruption inherit incorruption. This flesh and blood doesn't inherit the kingdom of God, yet there is a bodily resurrection, and it's a spiritual body that bears the heavenly image. And he says this, Behold, I show you a mystery. If you're going, it's hard to get your head around. Paul goes, yeah, I'm going to show you a mystery. This is hard to be understood. You just got to do some accepting by faith. I show you a mystery. We shall not all sleep. You won't all die. But everyone that's in Christ will die planted in the grave. But we shall all be changed. We shall all be changed. Everyone dies in our mindset, in our understanding. We look at it and go, death is coming to us all. But yet, there is reserved a promise for those which are alive and remain in the coming of the Lord that they will taste of death as others do. There is a portion of those in Christ that will be caught up. So whilst, whilst not all die, all will be changed. Those that die, those that die, the Bible says that in a moment, in a twinkling of an eye, at the last trump, for the trumpet shall sound, and the dead shall be raised in corruption. Remember, they were planted in corruption, they'll be raised in corruption. They've been changed. But we will all be changed. Well, who's the other crowd? The other crowd are those that are alive and remain. Those that not all will die, but all will be changed. A twinkling of an eye moment where you will no longer be an earthly body, but you will be a heavenly body. Not just be an earthly image, but a heavenly image. The first Thessalonians says, Pour up. Here we see not really the process of timing or the heavenly things of what happens with the resurrection of the dead or, or, or necessarily with the rapture, which you see, if you like, the, or call it the biological things, you see the, the things that happen to your body, to, to your life, in these promises that First Corinthians spells out. So we see this, this timing attached also to the trump. The trump shall sound. We shall all sleep, but we shall all be changed in a moment in the twinkling of an eye at the last trump. For the trumpet shall sound. First Thessalonians uses the same language. Go to Revelation chapter 19. In Revelation chapter 19. Revelation chapter 19, verse 1, after these things, that phrase is used a lot throughout Revelation, and after, and after, and then, and it gives us a chronological order of things as we look through it. We briefly looked at that uh, last term. I had heard a great voice of much people in heaven saying, Hallelujah, salvation and glory and honour and power under the Lord our God. For a true and righteous are his judgments, and he hath judged the great poor which did corrupt the earth with her fornication, and hath avenged the blood of his servants at her hand. And again they said, Alleluia, and her smoke rose up forever and ever. And 
the four and twenty elders and the four beasts fell down and worshipped God and sat on the throne, saying, Amen, hallelujah. And a voice came out of the throne, saying, Praise God, all ye saints, and ye that fear him, both small and great. And I heard, as it were, the voice of a great multitude, and the voice of many waters, and the voice of mighty thundering, saying, Hallelujah, for the Lord God omnipotent reigneth. Let us be glad and rejoice and give honour to him, for the marriage of the Lamb is come, and his wife hath made herself ready, and to her was granted that she should be arrayed in fine linen, clean and white, for the fine linen is the righteousness of saints. And he saith unto me, Right, blessed are they which are called unto the marriage supper of the Lamb. And he saith unto me, These are true saints of God. You can stay with me. We're getting to verse 11. This is where we want to get to. And I fell at his feet to worship him, and he said unto me, See that, do it not. I am thy fellow servant, and thy brethren that I've that have the testimony of Jesus, worship God, for the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. And I saw heaven opened. And behold, a white horse, and he that sat on him was called Faithful and True, and in righteousness he doth judge and make war. His eyes were as a flame of fire, and on his head were many crowns, and he had a name written that no man knew but he himself. And he was clothed with a vesture dipped in blood, and his name is called the Word of God. And the armies which are in heaven followed him upon white horses, clothed in fine linen, white and clean, out of his mouth goeth a sharp sword, and with that, that with it he should smite the nations, and he shall rule them with a rod of iron, and he treadeth the winepress of the fierceness of wrath and wrath of Almighty God, and he hath on his vesture, and in his name, on his thigh a name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. And I saw an angel standing in the sun, and he cried with a loud voice, saying to all the fowls that fly in the midst of heaven, Come and gather yourselves together under the supper of the great God, that you may at the flesh of kings and sorry, that you may eat the flesh of kings and the flesh of captains and the flesh of mighty men and the flesh of horses and them that sit on them and the flesh of all men, both free and bond, both small and great. I want you to have that image in your head. Just just hold on to that and go to Second Thessalonians. Bring it all out here where I can see the front. I didn't put it out because I wasn't sure if we'd get to it, but I think we will get this done. Say second Thessalonians. Just trying to buy myself time, I can't find it. Second Thessalonians. Uh, let's, uh, let's go to verse. Second Thessalonians 2. Now we beseech you, brethren, by the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, and by our gathering together unto him. What's he talking about? So I'm beseeching you, I'm pleading with you by the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. What I'm talking to you about is directly related to the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, and by our gathering unto him. Right? A gathering of the saints unto Jesus Christ. You be not soon shaken in mind or be troubled, neither by spirit, nor by word, nor by letter, as from us, that the day of Christ is at hand. Let no man deceive you by any means, for the day shall not come, for that day shall not come, except there come a falling away first. What day? Put a camera spin. Is that better off? Bibles open. We need to step by step through this. Just read Revelation 19. 
John the 11 through 17 where you see those passages. Go back a chapter to 2 Thessalonians chapter 1 verse 7. To you who are troubled, rest with us. When the Lord Jesus shall be revealed from heaven with his mighty angels in flaming fire, taking vengeance on them that know not God and that obey not the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, who shall be punished with everlasting destruction from the presence of the Lord and from the power of his glory. When he shall come to be glorified in his saints, to be admired in all them that believe, because our testimony among you was believed in that day. Right up here, I know in my usual form, for a terrible glory, for a crown, for a coming king. say the day of Christ, we might go Revelation 19, we might go 1 Thessalonians, we'll definitely go 1 Thessalonians 1, we just read, right? Here, I want to put this mark, because it's the first mark we get as we go through this passage of Revelation, Revelation of Thessalonians. For you are a troubled rest with us when the Lord Jesus shall be revealed from heaven with his mighty angels. When you compare the language there, it's the language of Revelation 19. So this, this coming of the Lord is what leads into verse into chapter 2, verse 1. We beseech you, brethren, by the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and by our gathering together unto him, that you be not soon shaken in mind or be troubled, neither by spirit nor by word, nor by letter from us, that the day of Christ is at hand. Let no man deceive you by any means, for that day shall not come. That day shall not come, except there be a falling away first. Right? So before this day, there's a falling away first. Right? Where did I put that? It goes on to say, And that man of sin be revealed, the son of perdition, who opposeth and exalteth himself above all that is called God, or that is worshipped, so that he as God sitteth in the temple of God, showing himself that he is God. There's not just a falling away, there's a man of sin. But this day won't come until the man of sin be revealed. Follow with me? We're just trying to get chronological order. And he as God, he as God, seated in the temple of God. There's a great falling away, a great apostasy. Keep reading, verse 6. And now you know what withholdeth, that he might be revealed in his time. Now you know what withholdeth. There is a coming of the Lord, a man of sin that will happen before that, and you know what now, before this hasn't happened yet, but you know what now withholdeth. 
It's something that withholdeth this. Now you know what withholdeth, that he might be revealed in his time. There's a time for him to be revealed. For the mystery of iniquity doth already work. Only he who now letteth will let. That's an interesting word. What does the word let mean? Do we say that was a letter because something prevented? When that ball hits that net and gets interrupted of its travel, it's a let. The net withheld the ball. Right? That's how the word's used here. He who letteth will let. He who withholdeth. The mystery of iniquity doth already work. There's an iniquity that's already at work in this time. See, I said, did you notice this? This is the passage of time. I don't know when this is. I don't know the year. But this is the progression, the passage of time. Okay? There's a day of Christ coming. Before the day of Christ, before he comes with all his angels, there is a man of sin that will be revealed. There's a great falling away that happens here. But before the man of sin is revealed, there is a withholding of that man of sin. He might be revealed in his time. The mystery of iniquity doth already work only he who withholdeth. The withholding is not a something, it's a someone. Do you see that? It's not a something, it's a someone. He that now letteth will let until he be taken out of the way. Before the, before the coming of Christ, the man of sin is to be revealed. The man of sin isn't going to be revealed, and to heal he who now letteth is taken out of the way. It's not something that's going on over a long time. There is a single occurrence where he who now withholds is taken out of the way and therefore allows the man of sin to be revealed in his time. You see that? Taken out of the way, the man of sin being revealed, the coming of the Lord with his sons, with his angels. Let me see this. Then shall that wicked be revealed, whom the Lord shall consume with the spirit of his mouth. Hmm. That's an interesting turn of phrase. What was coming out of, the, out, of the, out of the mouth of the King of Kings in Revelation 19? You saw. Then shall that be wicked be revealed, whom the Lord shall consume with the spirit of his mouth, and shall destroy with the brightness of his coming. Even him whose coming is after the work of the saints, with all power and signs and lying wonders. He, the wicked one, whose coming is after the working of Satan with all power and signs and lying wonders. He's not just a man of sin. He's a man of sin that's working under the power of Satan, empowered by Satan. And so the withholding of this is the withholding of the power of Satan, not just, not just of a man. With all deceitfulness and unrighteousness, in death will perish because they receive not the love of the truth that they might be saved. And for this cause God shall send them strong illusion that they should not that they should believe a lie. And they all might be damned who believe not the truth but have pleasure in unrighteousness. Here we see the taking out of the way. We see that same phrase in First Thessalonians 4 that there is a catching up. We 
you see a, a change in 1 Corinthians 15. And in 2 Thessalonians 2, verse 6 and 7, we see a taken out of the way of him that now letteth. Now let me ask you, who could this be that withholdeth the power of Satan? Go back to Genesis chapter 3, and who is it that strives with man because of the working of Satan in man's life? Who is it that will not always strive with man? God, and particularly his spirit, will not always strive with man. We won't do the dots right now, but you do some research. And tell me where the Holy Ghost dwells in the church age. Where is his dwelling place? And if he is going to be caught up, dwelling place and all, what is it that will depart for the Holy Ghost to be taken away that the man's sin might be revealed before the coming of the Lord? And what you'll see is that the Lord's dwelling place is with men in his church. His people. Our body is the temple of the Holy Spirit. And the snatching up of the church is also the taking away of the witness of the Holy Ghost on this earth. And his influence returns back to an Old Testament influence where he came and went and visited. But did not abide. We're going to stop, do some study, connect those dots. See if these things be so. Let's close the word of prayer. Heavenly Father, I thank you and praise you and ask you to help us as we study these things out. Go before us in Jesus' name.